What up, what up? Welcome to episode 125 of Keep the Kayfabe. I'm Mike, sitting here with my boys, ready to talk some wrestling. Crusher Fest is pretty much less than a month from upon us, so we're cruising through the special guests that are going to be appearing there. Keep the Kayfabe boys are going to be there, but we want to give you some backstory on some of the legends that will be attending Crusher Fest, taking place June 3rd and 4th of this year. It is going to be an absolute blast. And to be quite honest, pretty much this episode could culminate the, our podcast existence because this has been a longtime friend of the show that we will be highlighting tonight. And it is Greg the Hammer Valentine. But before we get into him, we got to introduce the boys real quick. He's over in Glendale. He keeps it regal. His name is Steve Grobschmidt. What up, Grabby? Well, it's the big show. Oh, it's the yeah. Big bad show tonight. Great. Hey, congrats on the release of your new book, too. For pre order, but thank you. Yes, it is available uh, June 12th. And it's called oh, The baby. Divided Man. Is that right? That's correct. Nice. Be well, awesome. Maybe you can. If you get a couple paperbacks before Crusher Fest, maybe we can sell them out the back of your car, <laughs> sign copies. While you're maybe, here about wrestling, I'd like to <laughs> maybe give one to Greg, like Matt gave Eric Bischoff one of our T-shirts that he probably uh, left in the Uber on his. Greg way will home, be like, okay. "Great, I could use some toilet paper." Exactly. <laughs> awesome. All right. Speaking of Matt, he's down in Bayview. He is freshly squeezed tonight. Matt Michelson, what up, Matt? All right, let's see if I can do this. Jambea Bala Bala. Uh, okay. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So for those of our listeners, you know that we don't talk WWE on this podcast very often, but if you miss WWE Backlash, dude, you gotta go back and watch it. Bad Bunny had one of the best mm-hmm. matches in recent memory. Great crowd, just all around. We might get into it tonight if time permits, but yeah, definitely a highlight. Wow. I mean, that's going to sound really, really good on audio. Because I, I was like, what, what's going on here right now? But you sounded really good, Matt. Thanks, man. Really keeping it freshly squeezed there. You it did, really, Matt. It really helps when you have the Spanish lyrics in front of you because <laughs> street slang is not that strong. Well, you had me convinced. It's a CSC. Speaking of golden pipes, we got to go over to Ohio and talk to Mr. Gary Two Points Williams. What up, Gary? Mm-hmm. Come on, everybody. Get up on your feet. Put your hands together and do the bird with me. Do the bird, bird, bird. Do the bird, bird, bird. Everybody get up. Everybody get down. You better strut your stuff. Cause the bird man's in town. Do the bird, bird, bird. <laughs> Do the bird, bird, bird. That was for you guys. 
you challenged me, Mike, last time, and you said I didn't have a good. I always have a good song, so I re- went into the archives and brought out some Coco Beware. Hey, that's what we like. For longtime listeners, if you go back, I couldn't tell you what episode it is, but we actually have a show called Hit My Music where we play a game and everyone has to guess entrance music and Coco Beware was one of them. So I've heard that song way more than I care to admit. But not like that. No. I I was a big Coco guy. I mean, how you can get a parrot to dance. I know. Frankie. Usually. Frankie. Yeah. Yeah. He had it going on. I like that. And thank you, Gary, for that very... um, very passionate song for us. I like it. It was very good. Really set the tone. And that brought us to some old school feelings. And the guy that we're about to talk about tonight is very old school. Is he not? Yeah. Um, I, I think there is uh there was a lot of old school in um, this in Greg to hammer Valentine. And I think that it's uh, apropos that he is uh, one of our favorite uh characters uh on this podcast uh because as we take things old school um he really does resemble a lot of what the great 70s and 80s heel wrestlers were back in the day um in fact um you know it's really interesting just kind of seeing his journey um and you know even more interesting listening to some of his interviews that i think we'll talk about tonight and um i hope that you all um, you know, during Crusher Fest, get a chance to talk with him. But if you don't, and he's listening, uh, please don't beat us up because we do love you. But you know, we got to talk about you, and and there might be some good, some bad, some ugly. But um, you can lay the the hammer down on the other guys. I'll be Matt, Matt I'll be specifically. In, I'll be in Ohio. Yeah, yeah, definitely lay the hammer down on me because, as many of our longtime listeners know, and Gary just mentioned this, Greg the Hammer Valentine has been a. Uh, running theme i'll say throughout the history of this show and for really no good reason i couldn't even tell you where i it don't started. remember why i it's don't either. because we love them it, it's well, gotta but, be. I, but 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 yeah for for or for not long time listeners i think the first season of the show we mentioned him every single episode in some capacity mm-hmm. and then um yes of course how can we forget the season finale when mike uh presented us a cameo from greg the hammer valentine that was um Let's just say he didn't get, you know, he didn't get paid by the minute. Should we should we play the clip for the people? But yeah, I think we need to. It's worth airing it yet again just to set the tone. Yes, you judge for yourself. Yeah, he's one of my all time favorites, and I had to treat the boys uh, after a job well done for season one, first year we started the uh, podcast. So take a listen to our cameo from Greg the Hammer Valentine. Hey, this is Greg Hammer Valentine, WWE Hall of Famer. I'm doing a shout out to Steve and Matt and Charlie. They own the Keep the K-Fabe Crew podcast. What a name, K-Fabe. You want to know a good K-Fabe story from me? I was coming out of the ring in this town called Steubenville, Ohio. I call it Stupidville, Ohio. This guy spit in my face. Point blank, I hauled off and hit him and broke his jaw. How's that? That's for real. And then Linda McMahon had to pay for it. All right, you guys, good luck on your podcast. Merry Christmas. An all-time classic. And Mike had to pay for it. (laughs) Yeah, I did. (laughs) Best hundred bucks I've ever spent, still to this day. Worth every penny. Well, it'll put some gas in the tank for him to get over to South Milwaukee. Like I said, he'll be at Crusher Fest 
um, June 3rd and 4th. So we can't wait to talk to him. So Gary, where did it all start for Greg? Yeah, so um, his real name is uh, Jonathan Anthony Wisniewski. And so that's a good Polish name. So oh, glad he's going to be at Crusher Fest area. Fits um, right in in South Milwaukee. It yes, fits sir. right in. Absolutely. Our people, to our people. Um, he was born 50, in 50% of this podcast uh, grew up in South Milwaukee. That's right. And 50% are Polish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Born in 1951, uh, he wrestled for almost 50, basically 50 years, 40 championships. Crazy. Inducted in the Hall of Fame in 2016. Um, never, never a world champion, but did possess the two top secondary belts in the WWF and the NWA, the Intercontinental Championship in the WWF and the, the U.S. Championship in the NWA, which... Unlike today, um, those championships really, truly did signify the second best wrestler. And so they were uh, always um, considered as a part of the secondary main event. Before talking about Greg, though, I do think it's important to talk about his dad because he is a second generation wrestler. So his dad uh, went by the name of Johnny Valentine, um, known as John Theodore Wisniewski. Um, So really fascinating story. And I don't know if... Um, all of you remembered this. Um, I think it was in the uh, the Territories series. They talked about the plane crash of 1975. Um, and it, you know, you want to talk about the ultimate of kayfabe. So this was the first bullet dodged in terms of kayfabe. The second bullet really was, um, we talked about it last week, was the Iron Sheik and Hacksaw Jim Duggan being in the same car getting caught smoking. Uh, but this was um, a plane crash that ended up hurting just about everyone, killed the, killed the pilot. Um, Ric Flair was um, had a, a back injury. David Crockett was injured. He was on the plane. Bob Ruggers and Tim Woods um, were also on that plane. Um, and this plane crash left uh, Johnny Valentine paralyzed from the waist down. Um, but one of the stories I wanted to bring up, because I just think it's so important uh, to remember the kayfabe moments. So Tim Woods was the re- was a wrestler. His real name was George Burnell Wooden. So when he got to the hospital, he was the only face the only baby face in in the plane. So when he got to the hospital, he gave his real name, George Burnell Wooden, so that they wouldn't think Tim Woods was on the uh, on the plane. So when you look at the article, it's actually in the Charlotte Observer says um, that George Burrell Wooden was in the car and they claimed that he was a promoter when wow. in fact he was. He was a babyface wrestler. Talk it, about keeping it kayfabe. No, well, absolutely. Going even a step further, in Ric Flair's book, he, he cites that there was then this, like, you know, investigation going on saying, wait a second, Tim Woods has disappeared. Is there a connection here? So to protect kayfabe, um, Tim Woods, after being in a horrific plane crash two weeks later, got in the ring and wrestled somebody just to prove that he wasn't <laughs> he wasn't on that flight and so um rick flair quotes that 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 moment truly was a man who saved the business and so so johnny valentine uh greg's father was on that plane and uh you know similar to orton um valentine um traveled with his father in in different uh in his teens 
almost similar to Bob Orton. He was traveling with his father and was then went to college and decided he wanted to drop out of college to pursue wrestling. A little bit different than Bob Orton's father in that Johnny Valentine tried to dissuade his son from doing so, but he finally gave in. Um, and also, like Bob Orton, um, either senior or junior, they did not train their son, which I thought was really fascinating. Um, they sent them. Um, he got sent. Greg Valentine got sent to Stu Hart um, up in Calgary, and then he went to the Sheik in Detroit. But just wow. th- do they do that? That, that yeah. they never train their sons. Do you think they just think that's too like nepotism? Look, uh, just looks bad. I mean, I like if know, somebody else does it, they did it on their own, kind of. Yeah, I think that they're especially in the case of Greg Valentine. He wouldn't even take the name Valentine. He would. He did not. He he completely separated himself from his father. Um, I think they both were kind of paranoid about that, but then eventually they kind of he kind of did embrace it. Um, you know, once he was in the in his, you know, he had basically um, two lives. He had an NWA Mid Atlantic life, and then he had a WWF um, kind of life. And ironically, they all kind of intertwined with each other throughout his career. He ends up with about, I would say, three or four significant NWA runs with three significant WWF runs and Hmm. all intertwined with each other. Yeah. That's um, I certainly remember the first, or I remember the, we'll talk about it in a bit, but when he was the intercontinental champion is like kind of when he came into my collective, I mean, do you guys remember any, I mean, I don't know, like you came in, I think he was still wrestling, but did he, was he on TV when you guys really cut your teeth on wrestling or was it kind of past all that? I mean, he was probably just like a, a year or two before my time. Like, I just missed him. I feel yeah. like I watched him just based on how much we've talked about him in the past. But yeah, unfortunately, I don't really have a good memory of him. Well, you probably wouldn't have in that era either because he, yeah. he's just he kind of is. But we'll he, talk about it. His trajectory. Yeah, he really, went... he really did kind of keep to himself. Um, it, it was fascinating. Listen, I listened to um, an interview and i'm drawing a blank right now the interview site citation i'll get to that at some point but you know he he, it was really fascinating listening to him because i think he has he had some pretty interesting stories about some things that happened i mean a couple that i think um one that we're gonna that i'll talk about in a little while that was really fascinating in the 19 the late 80s um in terms of but one of the most significant things to know at the beginning was what the plane crash really was the impetus to get him into wrestling as a heel because his dad was sidelined. So he was brought in now originally, um, you know, and he, I wasn't, he was a really strong tag team with Ric Flair, uh, a heel tag team. Um, they had multiple runs with NWA and mid Atlantic titles, um, classic feuds with Gene and Ole Anderson. Um, in fact, he also ended up, uh, being tag champions with Baron Von Raschke, believe it or not, who also is a huge, huge AWA. Um, I think he was the he was born in Minnesota, or he basically lives in that area. So he, I'm surprised he hasn't been at Crusher Fest. Oh, I was just thinking that. Yeah, King of the yeah. Iron Claw, baby. Yeah. So one of the things that that started the hammer was he was known for these over his career for these 
devastating moves. So the the move that he first started with was was a top rope elbow drop, um, and he he um, it was so deadly that he would do elbow drops on wooden boards just to prove how much he could break things, <laughs> and it was meant as a way to kind of show how tough and um, how hard he was. And so in a lot of his career, many of his greatest angles centered around. Uh, picking out having either the the major or secondary babyface, mainly secondary babyfaces in the companies because he was a secondary champion, which again, back in those days was not a bad thing. Like that was like a legit strong thing. Um, so in the first Mid-Atlantic run, he gets in a huge angle with Wahoo McDaniel in which he and Valentine, or Wahoo is a referee, costs Flair and um valentine the tag titles that was the reason why flair then he he was going into singles in in june of 77 greg broke wahoo's uh leg um and <laughs> then uh wahoo returned a couple months later and uh during that run um there are pictures you can actually um look at these at google they're pretty funny the front shirt of greg valentine in his interviews said i broke wahoo's leg and on the back it says no more wahoo so that it, Did was, it have that I, kind of cheap, like, like stick yeah. on letter kind of look. Yeah, it, it was, it was, it was those puppy letters. Then. I mean, it was, it was great. I think, so, um, either Tommy dreamer or like Dave LaGreca, don't they have like a copy of that shirt? Like, they might. Yeah. 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 So that, that feud then, you know, once it culminated and Valentine left and which was the way of, you know, the way how things worked back then, then he went to the WWF and that's when Vince McMahon senior actually said, do you know how to do a figure four? And he was like, well, no, uh, I've never, I never have. And so he said, he, so he said, I think you could, this would be a great move for you. And so this is then remember WWF always about characters well, they wanted to create this persona of this very serious, methodical, you know, beat guy who could beat you down and break your legs. So Vince Senior, um, he he talks about in this in the video or in the interview I watched, uh, Vince Senior ha- challenges him to learn the figure four. Now, I don't know if you guys are watching the AEW stuff right now, but they do a lot of stuff in the ring, uh, prepping, you know, in between, you know, before match stuff. Greg Valentine said, yeah, I just had to go in the back in the dressing room and learn how to put it on different guys. So he didn't even practice in the ring. He was doing it in the dressing room on people. When they were, when he and Flair were partners, did, was Flair doing the figure four at that point? No, neither. Okay. Okay. Got it. Huh. It yeah. wasn't until they both went into their singles kind of runs. Um, the, the, so it was really fascinating to hear him tell that story because I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, like, so you went into the locker room. And uh, you did, and he was, he would talk about how you couldn't even get the figure four on Wahoo uh, at times because his legs were so big, but you know, they, they still improvised and, you know, ran a pretty hot angle. That's interesting too, because you would think that Greg got it from Rick because Greg (laughs) kind of carried on the robes. He had the blonde hair. He was almost like the poor man's flair. You know what, Mike, you really you know, I didn't put, I didn't connect the dots, but it is interesting because they both. So while Flair was going on his run, 
Greg left for the WWE. So it almost was as if they kind of diverged. They right. converged back in the second Mid-Atlantic run um, when when Valentine basically uh, turned babyface and repartnered again with Ric Flair only to attack him uh, and uh, and kind of set up a, an angle where he broke his nose. And they basically feuded then um, during his second Mid-Atlantic run over the u.s title throughout the territory in that second run you know what's uh i mean just to take one little step back to um i i've heard tony shivani our, our dear friend say that the 1978 match at greensboro uh flair and mm-hmm. flair and valentine versus the andersons for the title where yeah. flair and valentine won is essentially what got him into wrestling like he saw that and he just fell in love with it so yeah, so that I, feud I, that that feud gave us the voice of our life. You know, <laughs> it's so it's so interesting going back to that that late seventies because that's when those guys that we know now, the icons we know now, were really like they were like the MJFs and the Darby Allens and the Jungle Boys of the time, right? With the Austin theories, they were just starting, and so yeah. it's just really interesting, you know, just seeing. Um, and hearing stories about what they were like then. So, um, so once the feud with the U.S. title kind of kind of whittled down, he went back to the WWF a uh, second time. And during this run, he faced Bob Backlund in a series of matches: um, October, November, December, January, culminating in a cage match. Bob Backlund, remember, was the the quintessential hero. So he was battling for the. For and again, very similar to Bob Orton, they were battling Bob Backlund for the title, but both were kind of brought in as heels to do some dastardly things. But then they never came away with the title. Uh, so the the push that he got was um, that there was a guy by the name of Chief J Strongbow. Uh, I don't know if uh, if y'all remember him, but Chief J was um, he was the sec- the the second um, face, second strong. So there's Bob Backlund and Chief J. And Chief J came up to um, Greg Valentine was basically like, all right, I want you to put on the figure four. I want you to break my leg, you know, break my leg, so to speak. And um, and so um, he was like, all right. And and the Chief J is like, just trust me, this is going to. And sure enough, Greg Valentine is says that between Wahoo and Chief J, they were the two that basically propelled him to be such a dastardly heel and really created his persona. And if it wasn't for that, he credits them for a lot of what he became, which was a really strong heel after that. Where's him and Chief J buddies, you think? You, so it's interesting when you listen to these kinds of interviews, because yes, I think they all were friends. And that's obviously kayfabe aside. Um, they they had these really cool relationships where they, what I was super, super taken aback by when I was listening to Greg Valentine was this kind of this realization that those guys, um, they knew that if they paired each other up with the right person, they would make some freaking money. And Greg Valentine was the master of that. He knew the guys to partner with so that he could make money because, you know, the main event guys were going to make their money. And I think we've talked about this on other episodes, but every slot has to be filled by somebody. 
And so that next secondary slot is a key slot. And I think he, he relished in that slot as a, just a mean old heel, just an, he was mean. He really was, but it was not, not only was it his persona, but it was his character. It's amazing how sticking two guys together can elevate one or both of them. Like you think about right now in AEW, Wardlow's awesome. I think he was starting to get a little bit stale and then they put him with Arn Anderson. Granted, Arn's not wrestling at this point, but instantly overnight, Wardlow feels like a brand new guy. Yeah. I have to imagine the same held true you know, way back when, when Greg Valentine was breaking in too, like Mm -hmm. if he knew the right guys to partner with and could always change it up and stay relevant, good for him. Like way to play the business. Well, well, speaking of the the next, after he left the WWF, 1983 Starcade, which we could do an episode all, Steve and I could totally geek out on you guys on an episode all on his own, but that was like the first WrestleMania type event. It was closed caption it was and he ran he got uh, buddied up with um roddy piper and basically just went on a terror with just these with this unbelievable series of dog collar matches it culminated at star k83 but but basically you know they were just i mean the emotion storytelling uh the the good versus evil the i mean it was as good as it got in 1983 with Greg Valentine and Roddy Piper. And at the time Piper was uh, a baby face. Um, he later becomes, um, you know, a heel, but um, he was a baby face during this period. He had come from Portland, had been a big baby face there. And, and then, you know, that, that kind of was just a huge push to his career. If you think so, back to the feud between MJF and CM Punk, when yes. CM Punk challenges MJF to the match and asks him if he'll be his Valentine, for those of our listeners who <clears throat> love connecting deep-rooted thoughts mm-hmm. in pro wrestling, there you go. Yeah. Well, and I was just going to bring up another AEW moment. I think it was was it, was it Cody and um, and um, Brody Lee that had the dog come match yes. and then they brought mm-hmm. greg valentine in and he sat in the crowd and watched it so it's like mm-hmm. they just that yeah double two times where they did the homage to the the man oh, yeah. yeah i would i would urge anyone that's a fan to watch that match i mean it's it's an awesome wrestling match he he does kind of look like a little french bulldog like a lot of his facial features are pretty condensed like you know like a pug he kind of has a little dog like terrier or mike you're Boston. welcome to say that to his face i'll see how it goes yeah i was gonna say greg friend of the channel shout out to yeah. him we'll see him in a few weeks maybe we'll see ah it's not like he's never heard it before <laughs> but anyway the guy's a genius and he is yeah. the dog collar master so yeah it is awesome that he gets thrown a bone Aww. as much as he does yeah well then he he leaves mid-atlantic um obviously he was no dummy. He knew what McMahon was doing. He wanted to join in. Um, and so um, this is the pro- probably the quintessential eight years of his career, which is the, you know, the first he, he comes in, he, he had really nice things to say about Tito Santana said the same thing. He was like, we could just, you know, it, it, listen to this quote he gave. He said, I don't do jobs and I don't do high spots. he, was insistent and said this like i don't do jobs i don't do high spots he meant it he would job but only if he knew he would 
be able to get some heat afterwards, which was so old school. I mean, he was truly old school and he doesn't wasted motion, no wasted motion. He, he was very upset about where wrestling has gone because he was like, listen, in a high spot match, basically he's like, the heel is supposed to call the match. And he talks about, um, being a tag team with Brutus, the barber beefcake, they win the tag team titles. They end up feuding with the Bulldogs. The British Bulldogs are actually one of the first tag teams who focused on high spots. And Greg Valentine was pissed at Brutus because he would let the Bulldogs do too many high spots. And Greg felt like it would take, it rubbed away from their heat by letting them do that. And so he, mm. he actually, you know, talked a little bit about that, which I thought was really fascinating. Um, uh, just a precursor to that, um, 285 day run as an intercontinental champion. That's the fifth longest in IC title history. So that Greg Valentine, and then Steve, you remember the, uh, the win over the U S express. Uh, and then mm-hmm. basically, um, you know, they go through a series between WrestleMania one um, in WrestleMania one, he, he was told to lose to JYD. He refused and he ended up um, basically uh, having Tito Santana tell the ref, uh, you know, like he because che- he got the pin by cheating. Santana ran in because he was the one who lost the title to him. Um, and then Valentine's for like, forget it. And he leaves and uh, JYD wins by count out uh, WrestleMania, but two, not the title, but not the title. Mm-hmm. Um WrestleMania two was um, the bulldog, the loss to the bulldogs. And then in WrestleMania three, basically um, that's with the end of the dream team, beefcake and Valentine that they end there. Um, And then he gets partnered with Dino Bravo. And he talked a little bit about just not being really comfortable, but, um, but trivia for the three of you in the 1980s, Greg Valentine said that the WWF was famous for paying out cash approximately how much a week was greg valentine bringing home oh man i'm gonna i'm gonna go with 150 bucks a week okay i'm gonna say three thousand okay i'm gonna say three thousand one <laughs> is it prices right rules wait <laughs> it is now uh, 20 grand cash a week wow a week what? a week Wow. In the 80s. That's cocaine money. That yeah, is. It probably was. <laughs> he, so I listened to this interview. And again, I mean, I'm sure you guys, you know, my dad was like this. My dad always carried cash, right? He's cash. Cash is king, right? He would talk about how he's like, yeah, some territories like the NWA, they pay us in checks, but not the WWF. It was cold, hard cash. And so he was relishing in this. But yes, he said, I was bringing home about $20,000 a week. And what set him off was um, he was told to job to the killer bees and was like, nope, not going to do it. Those guys, I'm not. I'm not jobbing to them. And so 20K and he couldn't do it. Yep. So it was at that time, okay, that basically he told the WWF, I'm out of here. This is the cool, one of the coolest stories I heard. So just prior or around that time, he got a call from Jim Ross and Jim Ross 
And in essence, Ric Flair said, you need to come here to the NWA and be the fourth horseman. Huh. So Barry Windham at the time was a babyface, and they end up, Valentine was all set to go. And McMahon called him back and basically was like, okay, you're right. You're like, we shouldn't have done that. Let's bring you back. You know, that type of thing and saved him from going in essence, promising him that he would, you know, kind of wrestle this angle with his buddy, Don Morocco. And he says, I passed, I passed it up. And I think if it would be interesting if you guys asked him about this, but I think it's a regret of his, I think he wished he had gone because if you look after that, he had the feud with Don Morocco, um, which also has a hilarious story. And then the feud with Ronnie Garvin and pretty much is never the same after that. Well, and he may, he's like tailor made for the horseman. He would, you know, he's oh, got that like, oh, yeah. 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 So the funny Don Morocco story. So superstar uh, Billy Graham was uh, an on-air persona at the time. He had a plastic hip. And so, so they I remember, the, I remember that story. You remember that Steve? Yeah. Uh, they ran an angle where Val- Valentine put him in the figure figure for the old man with the plastic hip so basically he and morocco start going on this kind of same concept as before he's like i know i know don would wrestle good matches i'm gonna wrestle a good match i can make money with him so he was so basically they are on this european tour and the story goes they were all they were taking liquid valium not mm-hmm. not greg valentine but don morocco and the Bulldogs and JYD. And they were in a double-decker bus. And as they were getting to their destination, they in the bus were the major network executives from the UK. And as the story goes, Don Morocco pisses on the bus. And it comes down into the second story. <laughs> and basically... On the first level? On, on the yeah. first level, from the second level down to the first level. Yeah. And basically, they really embarrass themselves in front of these executives. Now, again, this is at a time when the WWF is not quite, they're there, but this is just after WrestleMania 3, which was really the thing that propelled them, but they still weren't mainstreamed. So the story goes that Nick Bockwinkle was the agent and pulled them in and basically started reading them the riot act and Don Morocco put his finger right in um, Bockwinkle's face, ripped his shirt open and, and basically accused Bockwinkle of being quote unquote, a pecker checker. Ah, whoa. You don't call someone that lately because Bockwinkle was (laughs) the guy assigned to do the drug testing. Oh, they referred to him as the pecker checker. And, McMahon was like, okay, we can't have this happen. Greg Valentine is pleading with McMahon because he knows that this is his way of making money. And McMahon's like, nope, he's got to go. And he fired him. And then Greg was like, what the hell? Fuck. Wow. Yeah. How about that story? Pecker checker. Pecker checker. God, I love that. Often, you know, I've wanted to take the time on this podcast that I'm pretty sure, uh, Mike, that you're a pecker checker that's been checking (laughs) on us all along. Like you've been recording. You've been reporting to Spotify uh, about our goings on. I don't even need to see your faces if you whip them out, guys. Like, we're fine. Yeah. 
Oh, we're talking about like drug tests, not the what your dicks look like. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yes. Yes. To yeah. To both. I Jesus. pray that gets edited Christ. out for the listeners. For it will Christ. not, nor should it. So 1989 is pretty much Valentine's last kind of like legit feud. That's with Ronnie Garvin. Um, They basically do this angle. Steve, do you remember that angle at all? I do. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, you want to talk um, about that? Sure. They, um, I mean, and they start off, I mean, they're both kind of the rugged types. One's a baby face. uh, The other one's the asshole. And um, yeah, they get into a feud. And I think, I think Valentine, oh, there's like a loser leaves town or no retirement, right? Match. Yes. And Garvin loses because of shenanigans and um he becomes a referee for a while but then oh. yeah then um is it Valentine like pleads to get him reinstated so that they can Yeah because the feud. Yeah. Garvin goes from referee to ring announcer and and says just some corny things about Valentine's got two left feet and and he and Jimmy Hart get upset. But the funny part about that feud was um, their use of the of a shin guard. Uh, Valentine, um, you know, oh, that's came right. up with an injury to his shin. So he wore what was called, um, he wore a shin guard called the Heartbreaker that accidentally moved from his shin to his calf when he was putting on the figure four. Yeah, for I remember that. Yeah, yeah, do you? Yeah, it's totally... Yeah. Um... And then Garvin got one called the Hammer Jammer, and that's hilarious. Uh, and basically, Wasn't it like made of gold or something, like spray painted yeah. gold yeah. or something. Yes. And so in the 1990 Royal Rumble, uh, they basically had a submission match, and Garvin uh, Valentine put the figure four on him. He Garvin switched his uh, Hammer Jammer, so he was laughing because it wasn't hurting, and he ended up uh, beating Valentine for the blow off. <laughs> Fuck. You know, something that I also remember from this era was like, I swear every match that Valentine was in, Gorilla Monsoon would talk about like how dangerous he is because he gets stronger as or he gets better as the match goes on longer. Like he, he'd make yeah. that oh, point yeah. every time that Hammer is one of those guys that as the match goes on, he gets better. <laughs> he's like a tree. You can't even push him over. He's so stout. Right. Like, that's the thing. That's the thing that I loved about him. He's one of my all time favorites. Yeah. His his skin is like tight to his body and the like he was tan, like the lights would just glisten off of him. He had his little, you know, like scrunched up face with the hair. He's like he, just, he was perfect. Yeah. I loved them. No, you're right. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, um, you know, yes, um, the rest of his career is kind of anticlimactic. He gets in this uh, tag team with uh, the honky talk man, rhythm and blues. Um, you know, it was, it was comedy act and I don't think he was very happy about no, it. Oh, he didn't. I wasn't that. happy at all. Luckily for him, I guess he would say is that the honky talk man left um, the WWF. So basically ended there, that reign. And then, you know, he does go to the NW or WCW in 1992 and gets in with Terry Taylor and does some feuding with uh, the Freebirds, Dusty and Dustin Rhodes. But um, I think this is the best story to end the night. And it was confirmed in the interview. Um, and I recall the interviews with Title Match Network. So shout out to them for the uh, research. So in 1992, on October 19th, he was set to wrestle Sting at a WCW Saturday night taping. So at their Saturday night taping show, he was told by then Bill Watts, um, he's going to have to lose to Sting. And he's like, no, I'm not. And he was, they were basically like, well, yeah, you, he's like, I don't do jobs, yeah. not, not to this guy. 
And wow. so he resigned. Sting some nobody. <laughs> he resigned. Yeah, what did Sting ever do though? He was so he resigned. He was yeah. like, I'm, I'm I'm not losing to that guy. I'm a, and I that story right there, I think, is a great exclamation point for who Greg Valentine was. Like he if you earned it, he was old school as old school got. If you earned mm-hmm. it, he would be with you. But he believes strongly in kayfabe and the heel. And he was like, the heels, you know, there we have a purpose. And he knew how to make money, that's for sure, by partnering with the right people. But boy, what a tough, tough son of a gun. Yeah. He sound he sounds like he uh really sticks to his beliefs. Like, and I respect that. Like for someone who like just is very strong into what they think and feel. Yeah. You got to respect it. And yeah, the guy is a genius. If you can press the right buttons to mm-hmm. get people to feel something, that's all wrestling is. You know, you got to get the right combinations, the right time, skill level, all that. Not to go into hockey here, but there's a lot mm-hmm. of things that are relatable with hockey and wrestling. You got to get the right combinations yep. at the right time, the right matchups mm-hmm. for for what it is that you need to do Um, and and a lot like and a lot like um hockey too i mean there's guys who are perennial scorers and then there's Mm -hmm. there's those guys that are the number two number three guys that aren't afraid to just throw you in the boards and that's their gig like that is their gig they do their job and i think that really simplifies you know greg valentine and in his career awesome well, very good, Gary. I mean, we cannot wait to meet him at Crusher Fest. Yeah. Tell him what's up and just tell him how great he is. Gary, you're not coming up from Ohio oh, or God. what's going on? Well, I I don't know. We'll see if I can make a guest appearance. Come but on. I, I don't want to spoil the show for the guys. So, well, you got um, but a I guess place I, to stay. I, I'm, be- I'm becoming one of the guys, actually. So, I mean, uh, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I'll talk with my agent and have him call you. Speaking of agents, um, what did you guys think? Let's let us let us do a little. Let me reverse the script. Um, normally, I'm the one doing the talking, but um, Matt, you made you made a comment about this, and I think I think it would be cool for us to talk for a little bit about um, because I think there's a lot of connection to what Backlash was about, and we, some things we talked about here. Yeah, you know, in recent uh, podcasts, which is, you know, Puerto Rican wrestling and the and the energy. We we talked about the bushwhackers. Remember, they could hardly get out of there because they were almost it was rioting. Right. But I, I really felt like Backlash was an homage to old school wrestling. What did you guys think? That's really interesting. I guess I never really thought about it. But again, I wasn't a connoisseur of Puerto Rican wrestling back in the 80s. So I wouldn't have known. But Gary, as you pointed out, I think it was about a week or two ago on the show at the time of this recording, Puerto Rican wrestling was really explosive is probably the best word to describe it in that era. And so for those of our listeners, I mean, we mentioned this earlier, we usually don't cover WWE, but this past Saturday, WWE held their annual backlash pay-per-view, always the one right after WrestleMania. It's usually kind of a stinker to be very honest, but I will say this was, this had to have been the best backlash ever. Mm -hmm. Um, there's not really much that's memorable on these shows. You might occasionally get one good match, but this card from top to bottom was rock solid. The match that everybody has been talking about is Bad Bunny versus Damian Priest, which Mm -hmm. I kind of laugh about because Bad Bunny obviously is a a rapper, not a pro wrestler, but he is phenomenal at pro Mm -hmm. wrestling, especially for someone who's only had a handful of matches. And then you have Damian Priest, who 
is good. And, you know, all the guys here on Keep the Kayfabe sort of saw him when he was first coming up in NXT. I think maybe he did some time in Ring of Honor before that. But regardless of that, he isn't really thought of as this top-level megastar in WWE, but he carried himself like one in mm-hmm. this match. And I think it just elevated the whole thing. You also have the crowd cheering at the top of their lungs. I mean, it was like a Stone Cold Steve Austin level pop when Bad Bunny came out. Just to give you an idea, if you haven't seen this match, go back and watch it. I'm pretty sure the entrance, if nothing else, is on YouTube. The match went 25 minutes, Mm -hmm. which is nuts for a celebrity match. There was run-in after run-in. All of them were timed perfectly. Like This was true WWE sports entertainment at its best combined with the hotness of a puerto rican crowd like it's just phenomenal at least i thought it was well i mean and you know the other thing um matt um and mike i'm sure you would agree the chemistry between priest and uh, bad bunny was was clearly visible to someone like us who's watched well to someone who's really watching the match because like they are legit friends and they they've known each other for a long time i mean we know Damian Priest carried that match, but the things he did to bring reality, I mean, like, you know, he, you know, he choke slams him and Bunny is out and Bunny was not kicking out. Priest lifts him up, right? Or he puts him through the the big, the big, uh, you know, table in the back, right? And, and drags him to the, but as much as you would be like, oh, he, you know, he's dead or you know, he, there's no way he's coming back. <laughs> Priest did things that made you believe like, yeah, no, all right. You know, I can kind of see that. I, I don't know. Mike, what did you think about that? Well, I, I believe it. I mean, I, I didn't actually see this match, but bad bunny is a legit person who is passionate about wrestling and they're not going to put him on TV in Puerto Rico. Is he Puerto Rican? Yes. All yeah, right. They so they're are. not going to, they both work. they're not going to run that match. If it's not going to do, an entire country justice, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the fact that they placed it all placed all this trust into both of those individuals is just it's awesome. That's gonna be something that maybe we'll mm-hmm. talk about at Crusher Fest twenty five years from now. Yeah. When you know, uh, Bad Bunny and Damian Priest had there. One of the one of the things that just popped into my head that really speaks to how far Damian Priest actually has come. I mean, I just said he's not a top level megastar, right? But thinking back to keep the kayfabe history, I think it was one of the first five or ten episodes that we ever published on Spotify. And you can go back and listen. The second one? Okay. Yeah, Payne Hernandez. Yes, you know where I'm going with this. Mm. So longtime listeners may know. New listeners, go back and listen to episode two or don't because we probably really (laughs) sucked back then. But bad. It was one of the first Mike slips Mike ever made when it comes to names and pronunciation and things like that. We didn't know if it was Damian Priest, Payne Hernandez, Punishment Martinez. It was one of those. It was Punishment Martinez. But I was like, wasn't his name Payne Hernandez or something like that? Yeah. (laughs) But but everybody knows his name now. And like I said, the guy carried himself like a top level star. Mike, you got to go back and watch this match. Like I will. It's a good 25 minute watch. Um, The one thing, Gary, to tie this back to old school pro wrestling that I thought really stuck out to me. Damian Priest is usually a pretty high paced worker. And I think that's just how modern wrestling is. Mm -hmm. But in this match. He did such a good mm. job building the heat. Yep. Ed Bunny would get on a roll. 
and he would just clothesline Bad Bunny or do a choke slam or something like that. And then he's standing there just seething, just getting more and yeah. more pissed that this guy dares to step in the ring with him. Mm-hmm. And you could see it on his face and he just, he didn't have to do hardly anything. And it just made yeah. the story so much better. Oh, and that's the thing that's missing in most matches. I mean, you know, I, I would I might say something controversial here, but I'm of the mindset, as it's been also discussed in some other circles, you know, on social media or on Busted Open. I'm of the mindset that should have been the main event. Um, mm-hmm. I I think I think I also think there was some argument today that Selena Vega should have won. And you know what? I'm I'm of the mindset that should have happened too. nothing ever would have happened to Rhea Ripley had Selena Vega pulled an upset win on her in her home country in front of her family the, the motivation right you could compl- and then you can turn around come on raw and ripley could squash her and take the title back but exactly i just i just feel like sometimes you know perfect is the enemy of good and there's ways that they i just think they I think if it was old school, honestly, that A, that would have happened. B, there's no way, no chance on the planet that two Puerto Rican wrestlers with that much history is not the main event in Puerto Rico. No chance. You want to know something? This is my opinion on the whole matter is I feel like with high definition TVs and overproduction and how clear it looks on TV, they have to give such a clean story like. Imagine if that happened. And the reason that I love old school wrestling, because it looked old school, like you couldn't see everything. You just like saw yeah. these bodies. Nothing, you, you saw the facials that they gave and that's it. Now everything is so clean. The announcers are a little more annoying because they have to innovate off of what came before them and try to, they over try a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's the announcing and the clearest pictures that kind of ruin old school like you can have an old school story today and it would be that what you were describing gary how the bad buddy match would have been a great main event if they made it look just maybe a little older looking on tv and especially with this day and age like where mm-hmm. you can basically create anything visually like they could probably put a filter on i would love to see an up-to-date wwe roster but put to old school looking type of film and i bet you would totally get a different feedback online if you just played it just did an old school script you don't even have to you don't even have to write anything you just fucking copy something from 25 years ago it doesn't even have to be like anything important like just do the same stories but make it look older with newer people and just see what the emotion would come from the crowd you know what i mean yep when they were in england the WWF, remember, the main event was the Intercontinental title between British Bulldog and Bret Hart. And no, if they knew, and of course they know, going in that Brock and um, and Cody were only going to do 10 minutes, why in the hell did they have them leave on that note? Mm-hmm. Like that to me is a missed opportunity. I don't know. People people said that crowd was hot. If you watch the Usos and Owens and Sammy, the the air went out of that place. I don't care what anybody tells you that the, the camera was shaking on the, in the match before mm-hmm. the air dropped out. It kind of picked up again. And here's the thing, like, and we can talk about this next is I didn't mind the finish of Cody Brock. I thought, I actually thought it was pretty brilliant. Like he, him just like literally 
you know, it just it reminded me of a UFC fight. It reminded me of something. But why would you have that as your main event then? Like, why? Why those guys didn't need to be the main event? You leave that party rocking with Bad Bunny singing songs and crap like that. Those people will come back quadruple fold. I I agree a hundred percent with you, Gary. I so it's funny. Ever since AEW Dynamite debuted, I feel like I've kind of gotten more analytical about how shows get booked because I think they do a very good job of booking the show. And when the booking's slightly off though, you can tell with Monday night raw, you don't know. It's just a smattering of matches on a card. There's no continuity throughout the show, but with dynamite, it's like, there's a ton of stories, but somehow it's all interwoven and it builds as the show goes on. So, so keep that in mind. That's the mindset going into backlash for me. And so you start watching the show you get to the bad bunny match in all reality that probably could have gone either way because keep in mind he's not a wrestler he's a celebrity he's a great wrestler again but you don't know what's going to happen you don't know if the crowd's going to receive it well if something goes wrong and they turn on him i mean these are things that i have to imagine wwe production is thinking about before the show and so then you get past that match and it's like well should we put it on last? Well, let's put it on Brock and Cody because they're the biggest names we've got on the card. I mean, that's an easy choice, right? It's a safe... But not to those people, Matt. Right. 100%. So going into the show, when you see how hot that crowd is, do you make a, an audible during the show? Do you flip the card around? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, yeah. I really don't know. I, I agree with you. I think had they ended with that match, holy shit, that place would have exploded even mm-hmm. more than it did. But they're but basically so, saying Damian was, Priest isn't a main event guy, though, too, in the same sense. But but here's the thing. You're you are right, except for one thing. And this is what I would argue. It's old school mentality is hometown hero will always be the main event in their hometown. Right. right? And so and that's the thing that I was a little disappointed in as I'm kind of reading things, which is you're right. I mean, like bad, but Bad Bunny and Damian Priest in Puerto Rico that is their main event and that was their main event and that was everything those are two iconic people whether we believed it or not they believed it and that's the sad part is i think they got cheated of having of of not being able to like i i would argue that owens and um the bloodline zane uh cody and brock you want to talk about like a tea kettle if those two matches were going on and they realized Bad Bunny and Damian Priest were last, that place would have just kept rising. But, I mean, it's a lot like going to a AEW taping when the last match of the show is um, a Rampage match, Christopher Daniels against Roosh. You want to talk about letting <laughs> oh. the air out of the place, right? Like, and I don't maybe they it. didn't. Maybe they didn't understand the culture there enough because in retrospect, it's a very easy call, but maybe they didn't even know how yeah. much they were going to kill it uh, and live up to, you know, the hype that the crowd provided them. They might it's just possible. not have known. I mean, I love the, I love this, the lack of staging. I loved, that was an old school feel and I'm sure it was because the arena is fairly small. So they didn't want to, they wanted to pack the place. So I think like that kind of led to this, I want. I don't want to say house show feel, but it it led to kind of just this kind of like, yeah, it's a it's a big show, but you know, and so that's why for me, I I don't know. I maybe I'm just maybe I am too old school, but I know back in the day when you had that hometown hero, it didn't matter if they were the champ or not. 
they rocked the last match and you left that crowd going home happy. I just can't see them ending with Cody that the way that ended so kind of quick with Brock in the ring. Like how did that end? How did that make them go home, go home happy? I don't know. Yeah, Very true. I, I'm going to say one more thing and I'm going to take this out of Mike's playbook. Cause he just said it a few minutes ago. I think what this show really needs is to be shot in eight millimeter and have <laughs> the lights so fuzzy that it's like 1992 where the every spotlight at the top of the arena looks like it's shooting out in four different directions. It's that was the best when it comes to production value, but that that aside, overall this was a phenomenal show and yeah, I think the booking yes. is what hurt it most, but even then the crowd I'm sure went home happy after what they saw. Yeah, and I'm I'm probably being harsh um to some degree, but but you know, that's the perp- that's why wrestling fans are so great is we we all we take it i mean i'm watching that thing and i'm just like gosh i would because i felt that emotion during that match i was i was drawn in i was glued to the set and all i could think to myself is how much more i would have been glued had i known that was the last match and then you know i love old school run-ins i love all that stuff that that is all old school booking right there it's you got a bunch of run-ins you got crap going on everywhere all hell's breaking loose and the next thing you know whack it's over bam let's go home you know and i you know life would be too perfect gary I and know. life is not perfect no because the wwe will never do anything that gives no. us what we but want you, but you know what would help make it perfect mike a good send home message maybe we should end at least this episode on a high note what do you think yeah and give the people what they want and what we want is to say shout outs to greg the hammer valentine at crusher fest on this june 3rd and 4th and since he's such an old school guy i don't even think he would have put a smile on his face with that pay-per-view but um, what we are going to do is we are going to have a lot of fun talking to him and celebrating at Kosher Fest. Because you know why? Why? We keep, we keep it Triple H here on the show. And that is just these three simple things. We stay humble, we stay hungry, and stay hot. Triple H. Siempre con los destinos somos al cero. Ya Susan soltero. Dijo que te va.